Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to talk about uh, the incarnation, the incarnation of God becoming a man and um, to an even greater level a baby. So if you would uh, look with me at Luke chapter 2 and we're going to read through uh, 20 verses. We're only going to cover about 14 of them, but just for context sake, we'll, we'll get 1 through 20. So follow along with me to the story of Jesus becoming a baby. Verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for him to give birth, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in line in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those of whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. When they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what happened, at what the shepherds uh, told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. Um, This passage is so, so familiar to us. Um, Even as I'm reading it, some of you are probably reciting it. Just from plays alone that you've heard here, you probably can recite some of those verses. Um, I mean, like, some of us are really old here. And like, you've been in church for a long time. And you have heard this story 30, 40, 50, 60 plus times. It's a lot of babies in a manger scene and settings and plays. You've seen those. And you can, this can be, and not just for those of you who are older than me, but for myself as well, this can be something that if we don't grasp, if we don't take the time to hold on to what these truths are and really dive in and ponder and worship what is happening here in these scenes, we'll miss everything. You'll, you'll miss it. It just becomes so accustomed to us that we'll miss it. 
are prone to be blind and numb to these types of spiritual truths just because we're human. And so, um, let's pray because the warning is I don't want any one of us to miss it. Like, don't miss. Like, now, the next week, the week after, like this month, don't miss the awe factor of God becoming a baby. A baby. So, if you would, uh, pray with me because this is a big task. Like, (laughs) I, I have no words to help you understand. Like, my words are dead, but his words are life. And so we need him to really speak to us, to really make us understand that God became a baby. Unreal. Let's, let's pray. God, in the same miraculous divine intervention that you had on the world in leaving your throne and becoming a baby, I ask that you would divinely and miraculously help our minds to understand this. And that we would seek with diligence and study and think and meditate and ponder on these truths. Not this morning, tomorrow, this week, this month. We need to... Your help to really, really understand this. So would you do a work this morning, Lord? Work in my mouth. Work in my brothers and sisters' ears and minds and hearts. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, the question that uh, I'm going to answer in five points this morning. Or four, I'm sorry. I had three. I went to four. I went to five. Back down to four. So we're going with four points. Um, The question we're going to answer is, who is Jesus? In this scene, who is Jesus? Um, and I don't want to make this an argument to try and show you, okay, yeah, Jesus is God, look at this, 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 and this. Uh, I think the Bible is really, really clear about that. Like, it's almost, it's so clear about that. Um, so, I'm not going to try and argue and uh, help you understand that Jesus is God. I'm just going to show you what the Bible says. So, uh, Josh has got some verses on the screen. I just want to soak your mind in some of these verses. You may have heard them, the girls said them, but... Um, because here's the thing, if Jesus is God, then like stockings and sleigh bells like have no regard, should have no regard in our minds compared to this being God, Jesus being God. Like we can talk about shepherds and angels and mangers, but the purpose of this time is not to show the circumstances and the setting of Christmas, but the identity of the baby in the manger. It's not about the circumstances of his birth, but the identity of this baby. So uh, just listen to these as we read them. might not cover all of them for time's sake, but uh, just think about these for a second. Philippians 2, it says, He who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Next verse, Colossians 1, he is the... Image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 2.9 For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14. And that Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter 10, when He's arguing with Pharisees, He tells them, I and the Father are one. Hebrews chapter 1. says, But in these days, these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, who He appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Next verse, Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. We're going to look at that. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John 5.58. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet... 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus responds to him, before Abraham was, I am. Mark 2, he claims that he forgives sin and judges sin. Only God can do that. And then a great one in John 20, verse 28. When Jesus said to Thomas, who do you say that I am? Look at the scars on my hands. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. Right? That's not the argument. We see that all over the Bible right there. But, so that's the first point of this message. We're going to look at it in verses 1 through 6 here. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. So, in verses 1 through 6, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of Bethlehem, which is to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they're there, the time came for her to give birth. So, Joseph and Mary living in Nazareth. Caesar Augustus brings a decree to tax the people, so they have to travel south and go towards their hometown where they're from so that they can register for taxation purposes. That's what is happening here. And so this couple goes down to Bethlehem because that's where they're from. And Mary, in her third trimester, gives birth to Jesus away from her hometown. And look at this phrase in verse 6. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The time came for her. This was no accident. No coincidence. And this timing, the specific timing, was not just something that was prophesied in Micah. It wasn't just something that was prophesied in Isaiah or promised to David or shown from Abraham and Moses, or even Adam and Eve in the garden. This was a promise, a fulfillment. The time had come from eternity past. From eternity past, before the foundations of the world were laid, that when the time had come, this is what is happening. 
God planned all of this out. And what was determined from eternity past is now set in motion in verse 6, when the time had come. And so think about that, right? Mary and Joseph, they don't end up in Bethlehem because of a decree from a Caesar in Rome. Get that? That's not why. They end up in Bethlehem because God had planned it from eternity past. God is in control. And think about this. If Jesus is God, then think about this. Jesus is in the womb running things. Like, in the womb, God in the form of a fetus was ruling and reigning. Jesus was governing all things from the womb of Mary. A six-ounce fetus is calling the shots. Wrap your mind around that. This is what Isaiah talks about. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He has all control, all authority, even in the form of a baby. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. It's amazing. But not only that, if Jesus is God, if you see here, in verse 7, the second point is that Jesus is really, really humble. Like, really humble. He became a man. Under verse 7 it says, And when she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them in the inn. So we know that the manger, right? This is a lowly setting. This is the feeding trough for animals. And it's not that there was no place for them in the inn and saying that we don't want you here. It's just the pack. There's tons of people there trying to register. So it's a big city and it's full of people and so there's no, there's no place. So they go to a manger, which is known as literally a feeding trough for animals. And so that's kind of, that's pretty humble for, for God to set it up that he would be born in a manger. But, Though he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, the greater truth here is not just that Jesus was born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes, but Jesus was wrapped. God was wrapped in human flesh. See that? God wraps himself in human flesh, puts on skin and organs and lungs and breathes our air. This is far more astonishing. God becomes a baby. A baby. Like, you know, like when you, you take a baby, right? And it's just a few days old. And you hold it. And you got to make sure you support the thing's head. And you got to rock it so it doesn't whine. And you got to watch your feet so you don't trip over stuff and drop the baby by accident. Like, it's a baby. You take great care and you have such a delicate concern for a baby. And I'll just be honest, I hate holding newborns. I just, I do. Like, I'm so nervous. I don't want to, I don't want to break it or drop it. Like, I just, it's not my uh, thing. And the reason why is because I'm just not that gentle. Like, I just, I don't know if I have it. Like I'm, I'll be too clumsy. I'll just trip or something. And so, if if I come to visit you when you have a kid, don't be offended that I don't want to hold your newborn. I think I held Jaden, and 
maybe not, I don't know, but just don't be offended because it's just me. Um, because some of you aren't like that, right? Some of you are like, oh no, give me that baby. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm touching, I want that baby. I'm gonna hold that baby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swaddle that baby. I'm gonna rock that baby. And, and so, so that's some of you, right? But I'm just like, no, thank you. Um, I don't wanna, I don't wanna hurt it. I, I don't trust myself. Um, and, and, and like some of you are okay with it because then sometimes like you'll, you'll be sitting in those, those rooms at the, at the hospital and you're like, oh man, this thing is, I don't want to drop it. And then the nurse comes in, she's like, oh, let me see it. And she's just like hanging around by one. Like, oh, come here. She's like flipping the thing up in there like it's a pizza or something. I'm, oh my gosh. But like a baby, right? Babies are incredibly delicate and fragile and precious and helpless and totally dependent upon you. And God chose to make himself a baby. It's stunning. He's not just wrapped in swaddling clothes. God wrapped himself in human flesh the sovereign king sitting on his throne, dependent upon no one, came off his throne to sit in a womb and become dependent upon an umbilical cord. The God, God revealed his glory in becoming a red face, bloody murder, screaming, bedwetting baby. I would have... Never thought to do this. Like, can you even conceive of this? Like, literally, man held God in the palm of their hands. Mary held the sovereign king of the universe in her hands. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. This truth is unreal. Like one of the greatest in this Bible that we have God became a baby. And, and that song, too, I was just looking at the song, Away in a Manger, right? Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed. Uh, I don't know the rest of the words. But then there's this one line that says, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes? No! Like, don't believe that. No crying? Like, what parent has ever said that about their child? Anyone want to raise their hand? Didn't think so. No crying he makes? No. Jesus is... He's, he's a baby. He cries as a man. He cried as a baby. Fully human. Took it all on. And so, like for us, if, if, God, if Jesus is the sovereign Lord and he's humble and loving at the same time, if he's the sovereign Lord and this humble man, humble God, then like what in your life can you not trust him with? Like he's sovereign over everything. What are you not going to trust him with? He's loving and humble and be willing to come to be a baby on the earth and then die to the point of death for yours, my sin. Like, what is that that you can't trust him with? He's got everything in his hands. Like, all the prophecies, over 2,000 prophecies were told in the Old Testament before Jesus came, about him, the type of birth he would have, the type of death he would die, where he would be, what would happen. All of that was prophesied from beforehand. 
And now, Jesus, in sovereign control, has all of it happen. Not one prophecy was not fulfilled. Every single promise came true. All of it. So, like, if, if all of his promises come true, and all of these prophecies are real, and everything that God says, all of his promises are true, then, like, what is it that you can't trust him with? He's sovereign and he's humble. So when you read verses like Romans 8.28, God works all things together for those who are good. Those are called according to his purpose. You can believe that. When you read verses like Psalm 84.11, that there's no good thing that he will withhold from those who walk uprightly, you can trust that. In any circumstance, he's reigning and he's humble. With full assurance, you and I can bank our entire lives on Him. Because He fulfilled promises in the past, it's sure that we can trust Him with the future of our lives. I mean, even think about this, right? Like Mary, 14, 15 years old, they say around. She travels away from home. Third trimester, she's like walking around with a hand under her stomach type thing. Like, oh my gosh. Like has to go all the way down to... Uh, the city of David in Bethlehem. And then she, not only that, she has to go to a manger. Like, women, think about this. Away from your home, no family members, in a manger. Like, wouldn't you be like, God, why of all times, I mean, you have the kid now in this stinking feeding trough of the animals? God is sovereign over everything. He's working it all for your good, and you can trust that. Mary could trust it here in Luke 2, and you can trust it now in your life. I love this quote by, um, I knew I'd forget his name, Paul David Tripp. He wrote uh, a book on uh, the Advent, and he wrote this. He said, The surety of these past prophecies and the specificity of how Jesus fulfilled them is also our guaranteed future hope. The story that the prophets of old pointed to has not yet come to its final conclusion. This means today, in your life and mine, God is still working His unstoppable plot. He will not relent or rest until all that the prophets predicted is fully realized in the lives of every one of His children. Amazing. Reigning and humble. Let's keep going here. Um, Verse 8 through 10. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. He is the humble God. And now in verses uh, 8 through 11, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Verse 8 says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. With, and they were filled with great fear. An angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. He is the one who will come and save His people from their sins. Their greatest threat in life is now being diminished to nothing. Sin and death 
are becoming defeated by this Savior. And this is the good news of great joy. You and I, morally wicked and corrupt, only deserving God's wrath for all of eternity. And here, Jesus is coming to earth to die for our sins. He will destroy our greatest fear, death. Death has been defeated. And the sting of death is no longer. Listen to this verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and the deliverer, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, um, in a few different Psalms, there's this word um, about how there's going to be this coming Savior. And a lot of times they will use the word in the Old Testament prophets, and different people will say, uh, He will deliver us. Okay, this word deliver, same idea as saving, right? And so Jesus is going to save the world from the wrath of God, from their sin, from sin and death. He's going to deliver them. And so this word, the deliverer, is actually a picture for us in the Old Testament that we now see also in Jesus here. And the word deliver means this idea of an apex predator animal catching its prey and running away with it. And the word deliver means that he snatches the prey out of the predator's mouth. Get that? He snatches the prey out of the predator's mouth. So when the Old Testament Jews are saying, God, deliver us. Please save us. Jesus comes and he snatches us, you and I, out of the predator's mouth. Literally in John 10, when he talks about the good shepherd and the enemy, the wolf, Jesus shatters the teeth of the wolf. He defangs our enemy. So the best thing that our enemy can do now is just gum us a little bit. He snatches us from the mouth of the enemy. Every cry for year upon year in the Old Testament is now being answered in this baby. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so that means too, like for us, right? Like, Even for you, Christian, though you have been saved already, Jesus is still in the process of delivering you from sin. Like temptations, things you want so bad you know you should not have. Jesus Jesus is, when it looks like there's no way out, when you so badly just want to give in to the temptation that sits in front of your face, Jesus says, I'm going to get you out of this. I will deliver you. I'll take you from the enemy's mouth. He's the Savior of the world and He still is in the process of sanctifying and saving us today from our sins. And then uh, there's some stuff on the shepherds, but uh, we won't get to that. We'll keep moving. Let's look at verse um, 12 through 14 here. Jesus is the sovereign Lord. Jesus is a humble God. Jesus is the Savior of the world, of sinners. And then uh, this last part. Let's read verse um, 12 through, through 14. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
This is the angels talking to the shepherds. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. That's about a thousand, a couple thousand angels. A multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, you have a bunch of shepherds, right? Some roughneck, crass type of guys who are liars, cheaters, um, not really well-respected men. And uh, there's good reason for it. And they're sitting out in a field at night, and an angel comes. And it's bright, and it's scary. And what do you think is going to happen if you're that shepherd? Here comes the lightning and the bolts and thunder. I'm going down. But that's not what happens here. In fact, the angel says that I got good news of great joy, a savior, and then thousands of angels. I mean, you try and picture it if you can, but thousands of angels show up and they say, Glory to God in the highest. Now, this, listen, if you're not paying attention, this is the best part of the message, so pay attention right here. Glory to God in the highest. This phrase is incredible. So, this idea, the idea of glory, the meaning of glory um, in the Old Testament is that it carries a beauty, a value, and excellence that is the greatest excellence of all. And on top of that, it carries a connotation of it being heavy or weighty. And so, the, the glory that is heavy or weighty means that it has the power to move things. It has the power to displace things. All other things are now set aside because of this glory. Get that? So that's what this idea of glory is. And so what happens is when the angels show up and they declare glory to God in the highest, what they're saying is there is a beauty on earth now that displaces and moves all other beauties. There is an excellency that lessens all other excellencies. There is a magnificence that moves aside all other magnificent things. Glory to God in the highest. I'll uh, explain it like this. Um, in uh, last February, me and my wife, we went on a cruise to uh, a couple Caribbean islands, and it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And it, from the, uh, the luxury of the boat and the, the rooms and the, the pools and the, all the different things you could do on the boat and then even going to the islands and getting off the boat and uh, traveling around and exploring the islands, like it, was, it was fantastic. And then the best part was the food. And I tell people this, I never knew how much I could eat until I stepped foot on that boat and my stomach expanded. And... Um, so me and Bree, we get on this boat and we're just like, oh, what are we going to do? So we, we grab a map and we're just like looking like, all right, what are we going to do? We know there's like un, all you can eat food. Where are we going? So we find, we go to the top of the boat. We get on the elevator. We get to the top of the boat where all the pool decks are. And there's like, we get off, we walk out. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, ice cream. And I just start walking towards him. Bree's like, no, no, no. We got to go eat. Grabs my hand, pulls us the other way. We go over. We find like a, a little burger type shop and, uh, and so there's like pizza or burgers or stuff like that. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, give me a burger and fries. And we get burgers and fries. And then we try to find a seat to sit down. There's no seats outside by the pool. So we walk inside. And when we come inside, 
I almost dropped my plate. I was just like so dumbfounded by this. There was a all-you-can-eat, 12-hour-a-day buffet with steak and ribs and lobster and potatoes and sautéed vegetables and and pasta and fruit and on and on you could go. And I was just, oh, man. So we go and we put our plates down at the table and we literally put the burger and fries down and we went and grabbed another plate and then we walked and got in line. And I made a beeline for the steak. There's like three different steaks. I'm, oh my gosh, prime rib or filet or New York. Oh, there's pork chop, ribs. And so there's just like everything you want. And so I, I asked the, uh, the waiter, I said, hey, uh, can I get a, can I get a, a good, a nice fat piece of steak? Cause he's kind of cutting slim ones. And so he cuts this prime rib and it's just fat, juicy, medium, rare, hot. Oh, cuts it. I fill my plate. We go sit down. And when, we sit down. <laughs> the burger's still sitting there. And, uh, and I just kind of, you know, pushed it aside and then later threw it out because, because I had the steak. And so here, here's the point. <laughs> here's the point. <laughs> I like hamburgers. I really do. But there was steak. I love hamburgers. I go to Five Guys all the time and spend way too much money. I love hamburgers. But listen, if you're like, hey, I got a fat, red, medium rare, juicy, prime rib for you, or a plain old hamburger, like I'm taking the I'm taking the prime rib. It's a no brainer, right? No brainer. And so here's the thing is that on earth, right, Jesus, glory to God in the highest. There's something better here. I like hamburgers, but I like steak better. There's something better. Jesus is better than. Glory to God in the highest. There's something better here. Than what? Name it. There's something more excellent to be found. Than what? Everything. There is something that is more magnificent and beautiful here than what? Anything. Everything. All other things get displaced. Glory to God in the highest. Get that? So, let go of lesser things this Christmas and focus on Jesus. There is literally nothing worth keeping if it keeps you from Christ. There's nothing. There's something better here. There's something better in that manger. Doesn't that, like with sin in your mind, in your life, temptation... Like, doesn't it just make you be like, ah, there's something better here. Like, do you really think, like, some kind of sexual immorality or pornography is going to satisfy you? Or do you really think that a certain income of salary or a 401k is going to satisfy you? No idea. And when we choose to take these things over Jesus, we're passing up on unfading treasure. 
Think that comfortable buying things that will make your life more comfortable in your house better is actually satisfying. No, there's something better here. You're turning away from indescribable joy. You're missing out. There's something better here in Jesus. C.S. Lewis, he says it like this. This is a famous quote by him. You've heard it before. It says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has been offered to us. Like ignorant children who go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is offered by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't buy the lies that the media tells you. The internet, the magazines, the stores, the marketing schemes. There's something better here. And there's sinful things that we need to absolutely rid ourselves of because, because of glory to God and highest. But then even there's like, there's good things too. There's morally neutral things. Like we spend so much time decorating our houses for Christmas. Like, literally, I mean, I bought a tree and the lights and everything. I did it all. We spend so much time trying to make that stupid tree smell like real pine. Christmas cookies in the oven. Fake candles to make it smell good in our house. Like, we want the whole Christmas scene. We spend so much time on this stuff. And so little time during this month focusing on God becoming a baby. I want to encourage you to take time every day for the rest of this month and just ponder and worship what God did by becoming Jesus. What he did. And the last point is that um, what is this glory, right? Glory to God in the highest. What is the glory? So the next part, it says, on earth, peace among those of whom he is well pleased. So Jesus is better because he brings this peace. This magnificent peace to sinners. You can never achieve peace. I can never achieve peace because we can't make peace. All efforts and good works will always lack peace that sustains and satisfies. The sovereign creator of all became slave of all. The little baby's hands that were wiggling around in his manger's crib he fashioned so that he might take nails and hang it on a cross for our sins, for our peace. And I don't, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I don't want to be ignorant of how this time of year is not joyful for everyone. There's a lot of you who this time of year are actually really hurting. Really, really hurting because of things that have happened in the past, the loved ones, cancers or diseases that are even now upon certain people you love. And I don't want to be ignorant to that. It's real. And even things that have happened in the past, like those things may never change and become fully better. But Jesus brings peace. He sustains and he satisfies. 
I love that verse that James read in, in the Old Testament. He is our peace. Isaiah talks about how he's the prince of peace. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in me. Jesus brings peace for sinners and for all of our circumstances that we live in. Christ can bring peace. So in summary, Jesus is the sovereign Lord. He is the humble God. He is the Savior of the world. and He is the all-satisfying Lord. He's better than. Let's pray. God, we want the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Now, through the rest of the day, for the rest of this week, Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, Christmas night, through December, let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Specifically, Lord, I ask these words that we even talked about this morning in Luke 2, that these words would dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.